Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, answer your money questions. That's how the show works. Like you're like, ah, I got a question. And then you figure out a way to get in touch with us uh, via fax or email askpete at petetheplanner.com. We answer your question on the air if it is, in fact, emailed to us and not called in because we don't take calls. In studio with me this week is the director of personal financial strategies at Your Money Line, Damian Dunn. No relation. Thanks for having me, Pete. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. Wow. For Thank you. you. Oh. For you. Um, so this week, we've got a few different questions. We've got a reverse mortgage question. We've got a credit card question. And we've got a... A question from a lady who listened to us for 16 hours in the car. Yeah. So uh, we'll make her wait. She'll be the third (laughs) question. First question of the day, uh, Dame, is uh, uh, I have a brother-in-law. This guy, what's this person's name? Henry Ford. I think that's made up. Yeah. I have a brother-in-law who just lost his wife. I think that means she died. Uh, Probably. I'm I'm helping him sort out things. His income has been cut in half. She worked for the federal government and did not pay Social Security. His income is $950. His house is paid for. Is a reverse mortgage a good option for him? He is 77 years old. Signed, my fake name, Henry Ford. What do you think, buddy? How do you want to break this one down? Um, There's some assumptions that are left that we have to make to answer this question. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think it's interesting that she worked for the federal government and did not pay Social Security. Um, so I don't know how that plays. I don't know what those details have to do with anything. I'm, because he, he would already have his Social Security. So what does it matter about hers? Because hers goes away when she's dead. Well, unless hers would have been higher and then he would have had uh, the option to take hers, to assume her Social Security benefit. And so it sounds like his Social Security is 950, yep. but she worked for the federal government, it, which makes me think that she did a life-only life only pension payment. That would be my guess. Could, we should explain that. Uh, so when you take a pension of any sort, uh, you're going to be presented with a list of options on uh, what you want to do with that money, with that benefit. You can have a life-only option, which uh, covers you, the, the person who owns that pension, then once you die, that's it. it the money doesn't continue on and, and go to your spouse. Um, that's just the benefit. And it's going to be um, higher a, amount. A, a higher amount. Um, then you have a um, another option that will cover your spouse until they pass away as well, which will be a smaller benefit than what your, your life only option is. And then you get into some um, other types of benefits where it's uh, a certain period of years it's called life certain. Life certain. So yeah. if five years, 10 years, you know, whatever that, that option may be, and the benefit will continue on beyond that if you are alive. However, let's say, unfortunately, you pass away uh, and, and a spouse were to pass away uh, five years into a 10-year certain benefit. Well, there's ten or five more years of payments that will go to a beneficiary of some, some spot. So that is to say, we believe she had life only, if not life only, period certain, and she outlived the period certain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so that's why his income is only $950 a month. His house is paid for. But Dame, even at 77 years old, which the older I get, I realize 77 is not that old. Nope. Um, 
how is a person to survive on that? Do you think this is a good use of a reverse mortgage? You and I recently took the time to sit down with a, a number of professionals in the financial industry, and one was a person who sold and helped people find reverse mortgages. And we did that really for this exact moment mm -hmm. so that we could better understand what is involved with reverse mortgages when they are applicable and when they are not. So I'm putting it to you, pal. Uh, is a reverse mortgage uh, a good idea for someone who's 77 years old, paid for house, and only $950 a month of income? I'm going to give you the great answer of maybe. Okay. Um, but that's better than no. Sure. And, and, and here's why. Um, we don't know about any other sources of, of assets that are sitting out there. He says his income is 950 um, I, I would assume that if they had an IRA or he inherited some money from his, his wife or whatever it may be, that he would have included that. Or, goodness, maybe it is included in that, that 950 bucks. I, we don't know. That, those are the assumptions we have to begin to sure. make. So um, if you're looking for other streams of income at 77, you're probably not popping out and getting a part-time job. No. So if your expenses are greater than the 950 bucks a month, which very reasonably it is, even though you've got your house paid off, um, where are you going with it? Now, a, a reverse mortgage is the low-hanging fruit to point to and say, you've got equity built up in this house, use it for something uh, that's going to benefit your daily life. Here's now, a systematic way to pull yep. that money back out as opposed to just home equity lines where you just take it willy-nilly. Yep. Um, there are some, some potential issues that go into leaving yourself open with a um, with a reverse mortgage though. And I, if you can go into that contract or that type of arrangement with your eyes wide open. And not desperate. And not desperate. And, and making sure that you can cover all the other stuff that goes along with it, making sure you're still going to be able to cover your, um, your property taxes, uh, your insurance, uh, things of that nature, then the answer is maybe. Okay, so here's what scares me the most. I'm we're we're in, we are in lockstep on this one, but here's what scares me. From our discussion about reverse mortgages with the mortgage expert, the reverse mortgage expert, I remember a discussion about um, the home needing to be mm -hmm. uh, how what's the way what maintained to a certain level, right? And, and it's a it's a relatively high level mm -hmm. to the level of which it would need to be maintained to put it on the market to sell. Yeah. And so not only would this person need to have that money to pull that off at the beginning, and who knows mm -hmm. how a 77-year-old paid-for-it home is mm -hmm. in terms of quality and, and maintenance, but Damien, what scared me the most is over the next 10 or 15 years, let's say at some point in time, and you know as a homeowner, your home just ends up in states of disrepair. If he does not have the money to repair the home, at that point in time, that can really compromise the reverse mortgage contract, and he could find himself out on his then 92-year-old fanny. Yeah, it would. It makes for some very potentially uncomfortable and unfortunate circumstances. There are risks that go along with reverse mortgages. I understand that they're marketed saying that you know, it's, it's okay. It's, it's a, a way to leverage some assets that you've already got built up. And you're going to be in that house until you sell it or die. In a lot of cases, that's probably true. But yeah. I get concerned when I see people in situations like this who may be vulnerable to that small percentage of default. So uh, this is terrible, but that has never stopped me before. 
Uh, I find reverse mortgage questions fall into two categories when they're put before us. The first is people present the situation and we say, no, don't do that. Okay. Mm -hmm. This particular question does not fall into that category. It falls into the second category, which is maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Oh. Um, d there are some definite I's to dot and T's to cross. And in my opinion, a lot of them revolve around availability and liquidity of assets mm -hmm. to, to make sure the contract happens. And by the way, I just have to say that the closing costs associated and the fees associated with a reverse mortgage, although sometimes it can be your last and only option, mm -hmm. they're, they're spicy. Yeah, you, and, and that's my opinion. You just got to know what you're going into and understand that that's just part of the program. You know what? Let's do this in the next set. Have we done this recently? Talked about different financial products. Every financial product has a place and where you get in trouble is when you try to square peg round hole it. Nope, Can we do not, that next? Yeah, sure. Well, so someone's getting their question blown out. Mm. I don't know who it is. You know what? Let's pull out the credit card question. We'll, we'll have the lady that listened to us for 16 hours. I think we <laughs> owe her a little bit more than a guy in credit card debt. No offense. Uh, all right. So that's what we're going to do. Come back. We're going to talk about some controversial financial products, why they have controversy around them, but why they actually make sense to the right people. We'll do that next. Damien Dunn, Director of Personal Financial Strategies at Your Money Line is in studio. Thank God there's credibility. And I'm Pete the Planner, and this is my show. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Damien Dunn in studio. Hey, Pete. Hello, Dame. All right, so uh, when we last left uh, you, we were talking about how reverse mortgages, as our good friend Paul Ashley, uh, the managing director at First Person Benefits, often likes to say, are, are more uh, bought than sold. Is that what he says? Sold than bought. They're more, Yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. People don't go seeking them. Yeah. They are sold them. Yes. So he so eloquently puts it that way. <laughs> because... I can't talk. Okay, there are other products like that. And the ones that he points to and, and that is worth mentioning today are products like permanent life insurance, mm -hmm. uh, annuities, whether yep. they're fixed, indexed, or variable annuities. So let's take some time to talk about those products and talk about how they can be uh, misallocated, I, I guess, or uh, misprescribed. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's better. Uh, where do you want to start, pal? Your call. You want to go alphabetical order? Sure, why not? Okay, let's start with uh, uh, annuities. Yeah. So AAA annuities. Wow, that's a really good one. Thank you. Those are the best. Oh, yeah. So annuities, um, what a lot of people don't know is annuity is actually an insurance product. Yep. I, don't, I think people just totally gloss over that fact, and it's a very important fact. Um, but they're often purchased as investment products. Yeah, well, they're. I think they're positioned as investment products. Yeah, to most people, maybe they're sold as investment sold products. As investment products, and I think in turn purchased in good faith that they are in fact investment products. You know, I love a good disclosure. When I was in the financial business, um, I sold annuities. Yeah, I mean, I, I sold them to clients that I felt that their situation called for an annuity. 
Um, I think back on those days now with time has passed, I don't necessarily regret any of those decisions as a financial professional. Um, annuities are held oftentimes in sort of uh, critical mass and of mass media and, and say that they have some negative aspects to them and they can when they're jammed into the wrong place. Uh, so let's begin there. Annuities can get a bad rap and rightfully so when they're sold in the wrong place. And some of those wrong places often happen within what are called qualified accounts. So um, what's great about your retirement account at work, your IRA uh, specifically, or your 401k, is that it hacks tax benefits, yeah. right? You It's tax deferred and you don't have to pay money on the account until you withdraw the mm -hmm. money. Um, one of the reasons that annuities are, are considered a good thing is because they take normal money and they create a tax deferred product with yep. it. So help us understand what that means. So in the case of, well, I guess we can run parallel, yeah. the, the uh, retirement account at work or your traditional IRA or annuity, you're putting money in, uh, maybe not the traditional IRA, but you're putting money in uh, that's uh, had tax paid on it. And you are now putting it in a position, sorry, <laughs> let me back that up a couple steps because I just started crossing the streams on a couple things. Uh, you're putting money in a tax advantage position. It's going to grow. You're not going to pay tax on the uh, the growth or the, the dividends that, that are thrown off. And then once you start taking that stream of money or a lump sum in the, the, the case of a retirement plan or even an annuity, um, that's when you when you pay Uncle Sam. Right. That's when the tax bill comes due. But the ta a tax-deferred vehicle is a, is a good thing. Yeah. And, and when you buy an annuity, you purchase the right to take your money and create a tax deferred vehicle. Absolutely. And so to pay to do that with money that is already tax deferred is in a sense controversial. Yeah. You're, um, well, maybe we should talk about why it's controversial. Okay, go ahead. Um, annuities, traditionally speaking, are not uh, cheap investments or cheap, um, they're not investments. Sorry, they're not cheap contracts to own. They're expensive and uh, products. Yeah, yeah. there's uh, an ongoing cost uh, that that just gets the expenses get soaked up out of the returns of that uh, that program that you're inside that wrapper that you're in. Um, anywhere from well, traditionally speaking, like one and a half to maybe three percent. Mm -hmm. And those are even before you begin into variable annuities. I mean, you're talking right. about. One and a half percent M and E, which is uh, mortality and expenses yep. on uh, uh, a fixed annuity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you've got the the sub account, or, or they look like mutual funds are called sub accounts. Um, inside of that, they're going to have fees as well, um, and so the, the costs start to add up really, really quick for a tax advantage that you may already be getting in another product. Uh, Teachers, I hate to say it, but but you're unfortunately usually one of the, the biggest groups that are affected by this. School districts may or may not have known any better when they, they originally uh, seeked out your, your 403B provider. Um, and they were pitched an annuity product, and they said, great, that sounds perfect for our, uh, our employees because it's going to offer them some kind of protection or guarantee. We want to be uh, as, as paternal as we can with our employees. And so that sounds good, but there wasn't as much focus placed on cost at one point. I think you and I would both recognize that, and, and, you know, decade, two decades ago, maybe the cost wasn't focused on quite as much. And so um, insurance companies came into school districts and said, here's your solution. 
Yeah, and the, the tough part is it's not like the investments, the underlying investments in the sub accounts are good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's just they're expensive, yep. right? So even if they're great, then they get d- diminished down to good yep. because of the fees. And so typically the, the, what we're talking about now is variable annuities. What ends up happening is annuities are often sold to people as a form of protection to offer guarantees. And those, those come in a lot of forms. Uh, riders are very common, guaranteed income riders or yep. guaranteed return riders. Index annuities, uh, you know, cap your losses, but cap your gains. And oh, by the way, those all cost more money on top of the other expenses that you're already paying. Yeah, so that's where it gets a little rough uh, in terms of, of annuities. I think oftentimes, um, they become unnecessary solutions. They are prescribed as unnecessary solutions when another product or mix of vehicles could serve the exact mm-hmm. same purpose um, a lot cheaper, sometimes with fewer guarantees. And I mm-hmm. think guarantees ends up being why annuities... Um, people can fly selling more annuities than, than they do. Yeah, there are, that's the trigger point for a lot of people. They, they get skittish uh, with their monies in the market and seeing the fluctuation in values go up and down, and they hear somebody float the magic word guarantee out there, and they say, I want some of that. I don't care how much it's going to cost me. I want to be able to sleep at night. You know, and, and in some respect, I have no problem with that. Yeah. Because um, I just feel like it really needs to be explained. Like here, this... This investment, if we went this route, would cost you a half of a percent a year. If we go this route, it will cost you eight times as much. It will cost you 4% a year. Here's the projected outcome if you go the first route. Here's the projected route outcome if you go the second route. Deeming what we typically find just in, in you know, as a little bit of third-party outsiders to this is what you and I can see, that that comparison is is rarely made. Yeah. Uh, usually if you're being... Uh sold an annuity, very rarely are they going to compare and contrast with a less expensive... An equity-based non-insurance option. Again, they're issued by insurance companies because in the end, just as Damien talked about in the first segment of how you have pension options, Mm -hmm. uh, you end up with annuity options. Mm -hmm. Life only, period certain, survivor benefits. Um, And that was back in the... When the products were designed, that's how they were intended to be used. That people, we, we use the verb annuitize. Mm-hmm. That, that means you give up control of the money and you just get payments for the rest of your life or period of certain. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, uh, the popularity of what are called withdrawal benefits yep. um, mean you don't have to annuitize a contract to get regular streams of income. So you know, it's funny, we're going to do life insurance, annuities, <laughs> and clean up uh, reverse mortgages on this segment. And lo and behold, Here we are. We got just annuities and barely scratched the surface. Here's what we're going to do after the break. We're going to come back. A lady listened to our show for 16 hours. We're going to answer her question. We appreciate the listening. Uh, And that's it. That and more. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is my show. the planner show during the break i got a call from british columbia on my phone it's sort of weird just getting a call i just said from british columbia do you think it's like the prime minister or something damien oh mr trudeau damien dunn joins us in studio uh we got an email here this is from uh she wants us to use the fake name magnolia and walter 
I don't know. Uh, hi, Pete, or whoever replaced Nicole. Nicole, former producer Nicole. Important, exciting news for producer Nicole. She got engaged. Pete. What? Is that public? Well, this is two weeks later. <sighs> well, nobody can replace Nicole. Yeah. Well, anyway, congrats to her. Uh, so very exciting. Uh, anyway, uh, we've been spending a lot. Oh, this is back to the email. I'm oh, playing okay. the email right here on Magnolia. We've been spending a lot of time on the road, and I may or may not have listened to 16-plus hours of your podcast in a 31-hour period last weekend on the drive. My new husband and I are going through a lot of changes and potential changes right now, financially and otherwise. In the, la in the last six months, we've gotten married, honeymooned. I've accepted a new job. Before I go much further, isn't this how it always goes? Everything happens at once. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What? Always. Whether you plan it that way or not, it just I know. always happens. Okay. Uh, accepted a new job with my company that's moving us from Nashville to Chicago. We've sold a house, bought a house. He's survived. This is her husband. A major restructuring at his company is now looking at a potential promotion, which would transfer him also to an office in Chicago preventing a long-term remote working arrangement, and we're finalizing the move in two weeks. I would just pop some champagne or maybe something stronger. Yeah. God, can you imagine how stressful this time period was for this, these people? That's ridiculous. That's uh, so how I know I'm getting older. I look at the stress people must have had in their moment. I think it's empathy. What is it? Old yeah. age. Uh, our primary financial goal when we got married was paying off debt, his car loan, and student loans. But with an impending move due to a profit on our home and a great relocation package from our company, we'll end up with no debt and a fully funded emergency fund. Oh, snaps to you. All right. Uh, our month-to-month -month power percentage, once we finalize the move, will be at 23% driven by retirement savings of 15%, HSA savings of 4%, and home equity of 4%. This goes up some anytime we get a bonus or OT, which I think that's uh, overtime. Probably. Uh, we, have a say, uh, we have a save half for long-term and either save for short-term spend half approach philosophy. Okay. But I kind of view this as our baseline. This also excludes some one-time income related to the move that we will put towards our power percentage friendly things like down payment, transfer, and savings to the tune of about sixty-five dollars to $70,000. Life is good to be Magnolia. Uh, this may all sound great until I realized that our power percentage was averaging around 40% over the last several months prior to the move, primarily driven by retirement savings and my sweet husband's, you can tell they're newlyweds. Yeah, totally. How long have you been married? Uh, 15 years. Would your wife, Mrs. Damien, ever uh, describe you to anyone as sweet Damien? Oh, no. No. <laughs> no. I don't think... Mrs. Planner would call me Sweet Peter. If, no. If you, no. Probably not. Hmm. Hmm. Gross annual before overtime and bonus is $170,000 with bonuses and OT bringing in another $25,000 or so. We are 27-year-old dinks. Yeah, I know. We can tell. You guys like each <laughs> other still. The child is in the 10-year uh, plan, but, uh, uh, oh, wait, is it, but a near-term consideration. I don't know. Okay. Once the move settles, we will have around fifteen dollars to $20,000 in a cash emergency fund, a net of new furniture, and a few things to freshen up the house, mm -hmm. and 213000 in long-term retirement vehicles, vested of uh, 180 of it's vested, with no debt, 
other than our new mortgage of about $400,000. Here's our dilemma in question. Where do we spend all this money? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they, they have a good situation. They yeah. worked hard on it. A while back, you addressed a question about what if I don't want my power percentage to be higher? Yeah, remember that? Mm-hmm. I'm the saver and planner and work in finance, so I love this stuff. My husband is wonderful, but less financially goal-oriented, though he always had some cash cushion been current on my debts and has always met his 15% retirement baseline. So it's not like he's exactly a financial deadbeat or anything. I feel like I would always keep driving for more and more, but I've often uh, in life forgotten the advice that you can't sprint a marathon and that I need to be a little bit less, um, less. It's my approach to things. So is it okay to breathe a little? How do you let off the gas when your financial situation is this good should i just drink less coffee more bourbon and chill out what do you think yes magnolia well we have no time left to answer the question (laughs) no it's a good question you know what this is people that have worked really hard to put themselves in this position and i've seen people keep their foot on the gas beyond this and 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 actually accelerate and take it too far i don't think Mm -hmm. they're there i think that they probably need to find some level of cruise control. The question is, what does it look like? Does it look like a 24% power percentage or whatever they have? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're 27. Right now they're dinks, but don't plan on staying that way. Yep. They've done a fantastic job putting away for the future already. Um, they could absolutely crush it in the next five years. And set and, themselves up and for set life. set themselves up to no, be in true. fantastic position. You're really feeding her issue here, though, Dame. I mean, you're telling the truth. Well, okay, so yeah, that's that's one aspect of it. However, I am sensitive to the issue. You're 27. You're in pretty darn good shape right now. And go, your kids go, are going to come along and ruin everything. Enjoy go, the money now. Yeah, go experience some life. You know what? That's a good good thought here, right? This isn't about get new stuff for your house. Go somewhere. Yeah. Go blow your money on experiences. Yeah. Uh, live uh, live is I don't know, meager is not the right word, but but live as it's a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage. I don't know if modest well, is going to make Chicago its way. too. That's so true. I, that doesn't mean it's a you know a McMansion in in central Indiana. Yeah, it's it could be something very reasonable. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm sort of torn between you're never going to get this time back. I mean, this is planner, and I think about when we were 27, we we're doing okay financially. Um, you just never get that time back. Like, yeah. and, and to to have gone out and experienced more of life, we don't regret it. But I think if we had to do it over again, we probably would have done more of that. Yeah. So this is usually, if I'm, if I'm talking to somebody on your money line, this is usually where I say, this is where the communication really starts. And you've got to figure out with your spouse what you want to accomplish in the next five years. Do you mm-hmm. want to go experience? What, what experiences do you want to have? Do you even have shared experiences or individual experiences that you want to accomplish? Or are you just trying to figure out what you're going to do. Sometimes if people don't have set things they want to accomplish, they create some yeah. unnecessarily and just waste money. Yep. What, what does concern me here, let's say, uh, what do we call the guy? Walter. Let's say when uh, Magnolia, like, uh, conceivably, <laughs> would have the baby, hmm. um, maybe Walter wants to stay home and, mm-hmm. and, and, and raise a kid or, or whatever. Part of this time could be used to create a, a an on-ramp to that scenario. Sure. Start, uh, and that's a great point. Once you start getting serious about um, thinking you're going to have a kid, start transitioning to whatever your lifestyle is going to look like after you have the kid. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately. And, you know, I always find, like, when someone finds out they're pregnant, 
you have uh, eight months, I guess, at that point in time to figure out what's going on and then like to, to, to mirror your future lifestyle immediately. Because too often what people do is they, oh, we're excited we're pregnant. They don't think about it. They get done with their maternity or paternity leave. And then they just get hit in the face with the reality of how expensive it is to have a kid. Yeah. All right. So there you go, Magnolia and Walter. Good job. Settle down. Pick some experiences. Don't just buy stuff. Don't just buy stuff. Yep. Please don't. Coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week, which guess what, Magnolia? It's going to be a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and financial current events. Oh, this is going well, isn't it? It is. That's a good show. All right. Damien Dunn in studio. I'm Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, and this is my show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show. I got two, Dame. Uh, do you want food-related or travel-related first? Food or travel? Uh, f- food. Food. All right. Well, a couple weeks ago was the Masters, you know, in Augusta, Georgia. Beautiful. Um, so this biggest waste of money of the week is Ted's famous Augusta pimento cheese. Even if you can't make it to the Masters uh, next year, you can still eat like it using the same recipe served at the event for decades. Ted Godfrey's restaurant, Wife Saver, was the sole supplier to the event for a number of years. Ted's famous Augusta pimento cheese brings the taste of Augusta National Golf Course to wherever you are. Available in two, four, or six-pound packs, it can be eaten a variety of ways, but the best is also the most traditional between two pieces of white bread cradled inside one of the included signature green sandwich baggies starting at how much do you think for two pounds of pimento cheese how much do you think i know how much they cost at the course oh i've been to augusta no i haven't but you know but i know 49 dollars do you know how much two pounds do you know how much each sandwich is at the course what 10 bucks a dollar 50 what augusta has ridiculously cheap price concessions pimento cheese sandwich is a dollar 50 at augusta it, but they're $49 if you buy. Now, so I am. Well, pound, ju- pounds of it. Isn't that right? Pounds, baby. Pounds. Two pounds. That's got to be what? F- a couple sandwiches? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who's eating them? I don't know. Mama Cass? I, I, no. Was I, the I, mamas I, and the papas? I, she yeah, died on was. a I thought maybe you were trying to make an illusion there. Okay, no, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the second biggest waste of money of the week is $1 Italian homes. Buying an Italian dream home just got as easy as ordering off the dollar menu. The cities of Musumeli and Zungoli, that's pretty good. I'm I'm sure that was accurate. I don't know. Are selling properties for just one euro, which isn't one dollar. One located in Sicily, the other close to both Naples and Amalfi Coast. The tiny rural, I can't say that word. Did you know that? (laughs) No, I didn't. Can you say it? No. Say it. Rural. That you sound like a hillbilly. Rural. Uh, the tiny rural villages are attempting to revitalize their neighborhoods by offering abandoned homes for below bargain rates, while the houses are in need of serious renovation. They're situated along historic castles, ancient churches, and some of the most incredibly uh, scenic 
uh, areas in Italy. The only catch is buyers are expected to renovate their properties within three years of purchase. They're a dollar. And I, I said these are the biggest waste of money of the week, but you know, sometimes I reverse course on this, baby. I think that's a great use of money. Think so? I do. I absolutely do. I'm going to buy one. You've never been there. You don't know what taxes are like. You've never been to Augusta and you know how much their sandwiches cost. That's true. Yeah. So why don't you go buy a stressed property in Detroit? Because I spent all my money on pimento cheese. Oh, well. I could have bought 49 houses or two pounds of pimento cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. It's really good. Um, Dame, let's go to current events this uh, week. Uh, Financial current events. So uh, let's start with the fact that 50% of Americans have maxed out their credit card. Um, which is as high, if not higher now, than in 2008, right before the latest financial crisis. What do you think, Dame? 50% of people, of Americans, have maxed out their credit cards. Does this? I was going to ask if this surprises you, but I already know the answer to that. No. Wait, no what? No, it doesn't surprise okay, me. Yeah, okay, yes. Uh, I thought you were denying the fact that I knew. Um, it does not surprise you. Can you point to a specific reason why this is other than just uh, blissful ignorance? Um, mostly it's blissful ignorance, but people try and finance stuff that they just don't have cash for. So it could be one-off emergencies, could be a car repair, it could be um, uh, health care costs. Uh, they don't have the emergency fund set up to cover these uh, you know, random things that pop up in their life. So the place they go to get it, it's one of two places. It's either a credit card or it's a uh, 401k loan. Uh, do you buy the idea, because we're going to hear this from people based on this segment, do you buy the idea that people are going into credit card debt because of stagnant wage growth and that, yeah, the economy is booming, but that doesn't mean people's personal economies are booming? Do you, do you buy that? Nope. Boy, no. why not? No, I, I think it has. I I give it some credence, not a ton. Maybe, but if you're, you weren't probably living within your means, or you're living really close to the edge of it to start with. So if you're going to say, "Well, I haven't, my wages haven't grown," there probably wasn't enough margin in there to start with. That's true. Yeah, I, but also I think this is regionally dependent too. Like if you, you know. If you live in one of the cities where cost of living is just skyrocketing beyond a pace of reasonability, like San Francisco or yeah, Manhattan, sure. yeah. then you've got no choice. Of course, I feel like half these surveys are conducted out of San Francisco yeah, or Manhattan. Right. And every, when you get into some of those big metro areas, the rules almost change when you get to that point. Uh, we've, we've dealt with some people on the coast recently on your money line, and it's just a different ballgame when you're talking to people with houses and the millions of dollars, but they're middle-income people. Newburgh Heights, Ohio, wants to help you pay off your student loan debt. The 2,000-resident town, less than 10 miles from Cleveland, is offering to help college graduates pay off their student loans. There are rules, Dame. Well, let me hear them. Okay, I was just making sure you're still engaged. I'm paying attention. Be a graduate with student loan debt from a four-year accredited college or university. Do I have to graduate in four years? I don't know. Buy a house in the town valued at $50,000 or more within five years of graduating. Okay. After 15 years... <laughs> these are a lot of rules. Yeah. After 15 years, the town will pay off half of your debt up to $50,000. Wait a second. 
let me read the last couple rules because then I'm going to complain about this. Even if you pay off the debt before the 15 years is up, you'll still receive the amount owed when you first enrolled in the town's program. Okay, well, that's interesting. This deal is locked down, so even if the program is ended, you'll still get your payout. Okay, I have thoughts. Do you? Please share. Well, my first thought was, after 20 years, you're not going to ideally have any student loan debt. Or maybe you do because you detoured and bought a home instead of focused on paying off your student loan debt. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. After 15 years, the town will pay off half of your debt up to $50,000. But... Even if you pay off the debt before the 15 years is up, you'll, you'll still, still receive the amount owed when you first er- enroll in the program. Okay. So now you just have to stick around for 15 years. And then they'll pay you like 50 grand? Well, potentially. Yeah. Potentially. That's not bad. I mean, if you're a dentist or something like that, maybe that's what they're doing. They're going for like major degrees or expensive degrees or grad school degrees. See, now you know people are going to try and game the system. Does it have to be a primary residence? Oh, yeah. Um, that's a rule that they don't have listed here. Here, Okay, here, I have a question for you. A serious question. You, But it's not so serious because we have to make you 26 years old. That's not reasonable at all. Okay, let's say you're 26 years old. I'm 26 years old. Okay, that's the end of the, the, the sequence. Okay. Okay, no. You're 26 years old, and you can either buy a home in the Amalfi Coast for a dollar and fix it up, or you have to live 10 miles away from Cleveland for 15 years for have someone pay you $50,000. What do you do? I live in Cleveland for 15 years. No way. Yeah. No, that's a terrible choice. Why wouldn't you not just move to Italy? And pay pay to have a house renovated that they admittedly say needs serious res- uh, renovations. How much is it going to cost to renovate a house in the Amalfi Coast that you bought for a dollar? Well, it's good. You can do anything and make it a little bit better. If the other houses around it get better too, there's better. Oh, is there better wine near the Amalfi Coast or Cleveland? They have these things called shipping trucks where they they ship wine from all over the world. I don't know if you're aware of these things. And this other thing called the internet is. Fabulous, where you can get stuff from all over the world. I don't like your tone. We're ending the show. Oh. Well, we're out of time. Maybe I'll be back for another show. I don't know. Let me know. Email me. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Would you buy the Italian home for a dollar or move to Cleveland and live there for 15 years? That's all we have time for this week. Sending you good vibes because good vibe that is all in our budget. Taglines are no good when you can't pronounce them. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is my show. Mm-hmm.